Welcome to the Academy of Esports podcast. I'm your host, James O'Hagan. I'm with Bryce Johnson. He is my guest today from Microsoft. He is the inclusive lead for Microsoft and probably best known for the adaptive controller controller that Microsoft has released uh, within the last year. Bryce, thank you for being on the Academy of Esports podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I know this is we've had a lot of conversations back and forth through LinkedIn, I believe. Um, When I saw the adaptive controller, I was really intrigued about it because as somebody who works in education, um, assistive technology has been kind of a passion of mine. I worked at an all uh, special ed school for a couple of years. And uh, Ruth Miller, who I still call now and then whenever I need help with something, she was our uh, our adaptive technology coordinator. And I can see the, the changes that adaptive technologies makes, especially for kids when it comes to education. What was what was kind of the impetus? What was the idea? What what drove this the creation of this amazing device? And tell us a little yeah, bit about it. For sure, yeah. So um, I'm going to go way back. So sure. back in 2015, we were working on um, assistive technologies for the Xbox, um, bringing things like a screen reader, narrator, uh, magnifier, high contrast to the Xbox console. And um, we were walking into um, a, a hackathon, um, our annual one-week hackathon at Microsoft, where we, we basically get to work on whatever projects we want. And the one thing that we wanted to tackle was, was input, because we recognized that our traditional controller, you know, our beloved Xbox controller, mm-hmm. um, was optimized over many generations around a use case um, that was very specific, right? It, it expected you to have two hands to hold it and two thumbs and a fluid range of motion to hit 17 buttons on a controller. It expected you to have the endurance to be able to hold it. And we had to recognize that when an individual couldn't meet those expectations, that it wasn't their fault, it was the controller's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, So we, we started to think about how we could create a different type of game controller for people with limited mobility. Um, we worked with, at the time, we started off with a wonderful charity named Warfighter Engaged. Um, one of my colleagues named Matt Height brought in uh, this charity named Warfighter Engaged. And uh, they brought in a, a veteran named uh, Sergeant Josh Price. And, and they showed us like what Josh used to, um, to, to game, basically. They would take a traditional controller, they'd crack it open, they'd wire things to it, they'd solder things to the board, and they'd build a very custom rig for, for Josh. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that event, that catalyst, was basically where we started and we started to um, include more gamers with disabilities. We started like by we started to reach out to more gamers with disabilities. Mm-hmm. We started to reach out to more charities. We developed the adaptive controller. It actually took three years to develop the adaptive controller oh, before wow. we launched it. Yeah, so it took a long time, mm-hmm. but uh, um, we got there. And we're very happy with the results, and we're thrilled with how um, it is being received by people. Yeah, I seem to remember um, even. Uh, I was a child of the 80s and the Atari 2600 controller. I don't know if you ever used one of those or if anybody's listening remembers, mm-hmm. you know, it's that it was that square that would fit in your hand. And um, as, as you built up your endurance, I mean, your hand would cramp up. But again, required two hands in order to play NES yeah. controller, two hands to play Sega Genesis controller, two hands to play. Even something like a uh, Nintendo Game Boy uh, was two hands to play. So 
and I know that there have been, I guess you could say, custom builds to help people in the past, and those solutions have never been really optimized for anything. What makes the Xbox adaptive controller so different? Well, the Xbox adaptive controller in many ways is, is unoptimized. Um, mm. We create a foundation for you to build a controller that fits you. Um, the reason why we call it the adaptive controller is that this controller adapts to you, not you to it. Um, so you can basically uh, pu plug in any any array of external peripherals into the device and you can put um, a button where you have movement. I think one of the insights that we have and one of the things that we still sort of uh, work on with, the, with not only with gamers with disabilities but the entire community in general is this notion that, that gaming is something that you use your hands for. And so when we work, when we get with veterans who have um, limb difference, they have one um, arm, Mm -hmm. uh, they'll, they'll ask us for a one-handed controller and the occupational therapists that we work with, um, ask them to talk to them about what they have and not what they're missing. So like, can you have, can you move your feet or your knees? Um, do you have like shoulder movement? Do you have head movement? Let's put a, let's put some controls where you have movement. And that's what the Xbox adaptive controller was designed to do is designed to take in external peripherals to allow you to put controls where you have movement. And this is a device too that isn't just limited to the Xbox. I mean, you can use it on any Windows 10 PC as well, isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. It is a Windows, it is an Xbox controller. So what I mean by that is that anywhere you would use an Xbox controller, you can use this device. Mm -hmm. So um, Xbox One, Windows 10. Okay. And, and as you said, you can plug in a variety of different devices into it. As I noticed when I look at it, and I'll put a, a link to the product page up, but the back of the controller, I believe, has a number of different ports. Is that right? Yeah. The, it's funny that, uh, I mean, it is the back of the controller, but it, that's really the heart of the controller too, are, are all those ports on the back. That's, that's actually where the magic happens. And, I, and I've spoken at conferences um, because one of the reasons that we look at bringing esports into schools is we want to diversify opportunities for student participation and we want to re start to redefine athletic culture. Uh, a friend of mine uh, named CJ Campbell, who I interviewed for the podcast, he has a disability with cerebral palsy, and he spoke about how in schools there was a lot of inauthentic competitive experiences, I guess, presented to him or, or, you know, there, he said there was nothing that, that would make him, I guess, a little more upset than if you set up a scenario for him to win. And right. the commercial that I show the Super Bowl commercial that Microsoft ran last year, where it talks about Owen and the other kids who also uh, face similar disabilities. Um, it, it's, it's a pretty powerful commercial, I think. Um, to demonstrate just how important it is to bring esports into into schools and giving kids these opportunities to compete, um, what have you seen as you started to? Because I know you travel quite a bit to talk about this. I believe you're going to be going to Geneva. Is that correct? Here soon, or you did go recently to Geneva, Switzerland, to talk about this device? Well, I'm going to Geneva, but I'm I'm going to talk about inclusive design and not this device specifically. Okay. Um, I work on inclusive design and accessibility for Microsoft hardware for our devices. And so, yeah, we're going to we're going to have it. We're going to talk about uh, more of the process than the product. Well, I guess, you know what? Because, again, this is really the a, a major step. I mean, this really is a major step in the whole landscape of things. Um, what what stories have you gotten back that you're willing to share with us that about the difference that maybe this device has made? Even, you know, maybe referring back to the commercial or something else you may have seen or heard. 
Well, I mean, yeah, we, we do get uh, dozens and dozens of great stories coming back, telling us about how people have had video games returned to them. And so what I mean by that is, like, um, typically when you um, have an injury and you, you become disabled through an injury, like, let's say, a spinal cord injury, mm-hmm. um, you, you try to figure out what, uh, what you can get back from your life to make you kind of feel normal. And so we definitely have a lot of stories um, about people having video games sort of returned to them because they, they thought they lost them. Um, and those are always really good to hear. And we always want to figure out when we hear those stories. And to be honest, when, it, when we hear stories, the thing that we want the most is that we want people to keep telling the stories. Because I think when I said that this device is unoptimized, um, you know, what it means, what I mean by that is that because you can use it so differently, we want people to tell the world how they're using it um, with mm. the hopes that someone who might be similar to them can see someone else doing it and then go, oh, I could do that or, or, or figure that out. Because we know that unlike a, unlike a traditional controller, which is, you know, everyone uses it the same way, everyone uses this differently. So you kind of have to, there's a little bit of a, a barrier, uh, not barrier, but a, there's a little bit of a curve to like kind of get used to it um, or to wrap your head around how you would use it or what kind of movement you have. And we're working with not only individuals, um, but we're trying to like engage with occupational and, recu- and recreational therapy communities mm-hmm. um, to kind of just give people like this idea that, hey, maybe gaming is is for you. I think I think what's really interesting for for us as we kind of move through these therapy spaces is that a lot of those therapists look at gaming as a way to um, to treat a patient, mm-hmm. um, a way to motivate, which is amazing. That's amazing work. Um, we're still trying to just remind them that no gaming is part of sort of living in modern society. Like, you know, Fortnite is everywhere, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, if you want to participate in modern society, people should have the opportunities to be able to game. So we're, we're just trying to get out there and as much as we can into the world and sort of tell people um, that, that th- this is for you and that there is a way and let's work on it together to find a way for you to gain. And we know, at least I, I go around because uh, in schools, I think over the last 20 years, we have not done a good job of honoring the importance of play and gaming being a segment of play. Um, I know that that in schools, it's, it's, it's making a huge impact when we start to bring play back in. Because again, we've been so focused on testing. We've been so focused on high stakes. We've been so focused on the basic core subjects where art, music, and play, recess especially, has gone away. Um, mm-hmm. I see this device as being a, a, a way for us to make sure that everybody, as you're in your commercial, you say everybody gets a chance to play, which I think is a great way to say it. Um, have you started to see um, this your device now being um, used at the professional ranks? Are you starting to see the impact of of how it is starting to transfer, especially as esports is starting to grow? Are you seeing yet any impacts that's making, that's taking down barriers of kids or p- adults who might not um, have been able to play in this space as you were kind of alluding to before they're coming back to it now? Are you seeing that change in, in like say the professional ranks of esports? I think we're seeing that potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if I can see the ranks yet, but I think, you know, really early on, it might have even been talking to you, this idea of like, what is sport and how does sport 
um, pl- proliferate. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about traditional sports, like, you know, you can go around and you can go outside and toss a ball around. Sure. You know, n- no account required, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, but like when we're talking about esports, these, the, the entire sport is basically um, game, uh, on, on someone else's system. You engage with it. Um, in many ways, it makes it um, more approachable for a lot of people because of like things like you can you can dial in from your house. Um, but you know we need to we need to make sure that playing field's level. Like I think I think when we talk about esports a lot, everyone's talking about the the big leagues and mm. no one's talking about the little leagues. <laughs> you know, <and> that, <laughs> the schools in my world, right? Right? Like exactly. Like and and the playgrounds, right? And you know, so this idea of like it basically made me start to think of like, well, what's parks and rec in a esports world, right? You know, like what is, how do we make sure that um, our communities are involved in these things correctly? And how do we make sure that everyone has an equal opportunity to participate? Um, and that, that's really exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely see a lot of, of people asking me about like how this device could work in an esports tournament. And, and to be completely honest with you, I think one of the reasons that we're, we appreciate our device being a controller is that our device does not do anything that a typical controller does not. Hmm. Um, and that's because we want it to be able to be in tournament play, right? We yeah. don't want to, we don't want to, like, I know that things like people with disabilities come up to me and they go, macros would be great. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I totally hear you. I understand why macros <laughs> would be great, but I, want to make sure that this thing can can still exist in a world where it needs to be on a level playing field with other controllers um so that's a little bit of something that we're still working out because um, uh-huh. i mean i don't want to i don't want to imply that equal and equitable are the same thing but we're trying to find that right balance and i've seen it too even with uh, with my own scholar gamers in the racine unified school district who are not disabled I've seen things like, uh, you know, we've got the you know traditional keyboard mouse, right? But I've seen kids who will change the, I, I saw it recently where we have one student who plays with his keyboard in a vertical way. So his hand is oh, yeah. actually turned. Um, I see some kids who prefer to use it, especially with Overwatch, they prefer to use an Xbox controller hooked up to a PC. To me, you know, when we start to look at that and just how we're allowing our scholar gamers, at least in our, as you call it, the minor leagues or the high school level or the school level, that opportunity to change up. There's nothing that even, you know, this this device may be a way that somebody looks at and goes, you know, I could optimize my performance even though I don't have a disability. And I realize that it's built for people with disabilities primarily, but... You know, again, assistive technology is is something that I believe should be made available to everybody. Screen readers, um, all those kind of tools. There's no reason why um, me having, uh, you know, I, I, I could maybe use a screen reader and we make sure it's available to all of our students. So I want to make sure that people understand that the th- this device can be used, obviously, by anybody. Yeah, 100 percent. And and like you said, like you can you can optimize your performance with this device. Um but you can't. Uh, there isn't. There isn't a technology way that gives you a, a competitive advantage. Correct. That's I think what so I was going for. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's you know that's us trying to achieve that balance um, and and stuff that we work for, and, and that's very important to us. And I remember, and this is an important part of the message too. I remember uh, when I worked at the Cove School 
in Northbrook and I taught, um, it's a school, uh, it's a wonderful place, uh, approximately 170 students, all with, with special needs, all with, uh, IEPs. And I remember teaching the class where we had kids who probably had intellectual levels anywhere from five years old up to age level, right? So it was a high school class. So up to 18, 19 years old, um, really going along the lines of universal design for learning, giving us multiple means of expression. So allowing kids to demonstrate their knowledge in totally unique ways using technology, but also reminding the kids too, as we were moving, this was about 10 years ago. And as we were moving into a more online age, explain to them that these assistive technology tools are going to be a huge equalizer, especially in an information society where your disability, you know, you may never make contact with somebody as Bryce, you and I have never met. I'm not even looking at you Mm -hmm. right now as we do this interview. Um, I would maybe, I would have no idea if you are or are not using an adaptive controller or any kind of, of technology device, uh, adaptive technology device. So these tools become even more important as gaming is more social. Gaming is more online as well too, because the kids who may have felt I guess, put on the spot when they couldn't, couldn't go to their friend's house and play again. Now they can play. They, they don't have that even necessarily the stigma of using anything different. Well, and you touch on something that for us is, is really vital to what we're doing. And it's, and it's really important is that a lot of times, um, people with this, like with more severe limited mobility, um, or disabilities, um, don't have the agency to be able to go out into the world and kind of do what they want on their own. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they, they need assistance. They need people with them. Um, when we see these folks basically get into online worlds, they have, um, they have the ability to, to make choices in a way that they don't necessarily have in their real lives. Um, and it's really powerful. You see basically people, um, who, who become themselves in a way, when they're in an online world, they have an opportunity to like, to, um, to express themselves in ways that they do not get to do in the real world. And when it comes to that expression of their identity in a gaming world, they can be whoever they want. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we want people to express themselves however they want. Um, and sometimes that means like us making sure that our avatars um, on Xbox Live, have wheelchairs so that you can express yourself accurately. Um, wheelchairs or canes or, or um, you know, prosthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, but other times it means like letting people basically not do any of that um, and being able to create an avatar of what they would they would like to project themselves into the world as. And giving people that power over their identity is really important. I mean, when you when you meet someone who uses a power chair, there's a lot of things that go through your head before you even really talk to them because of the power chair. And that's, that's just reality. Like that's just the way it works. It's not that you're judging anyone, mm-hmm. but there are, there are things that you make assumptions about and, and just giving people this ability to not only make choices, but to have one of those choices be how they're represented um, is very powerful. You know, we, we see people with the adaptive controller, honestly, where we go talk to them, they start playing and then they ignore us because they're gone. They're basically (laughs) like, I'm in my world now. You're not here. (laughs) You know? Well, and he doesn't use the adaptive controller. I'm sorry to say, because he is playing on a PlayStation four, but, uh, just to, if you want to see what that looks like in real life, I'm going to give a plug again for CJ Campbell, buddy of mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, he plays under the name he man, star Fox, 
Um, mm-hmm. And yes, when when he, I was very sad when for a while he was offline, but seeing CJ uh, when he is streaming and putting himself out there, uh, CJ first and foremost is an amazing person, um, but he's also a, a, an adept storyteller. Um, he's written a book about his experiences, and um, when he's in front of the camera and it's him and his buddy, Professor Ikea, um, playing, playing. It is just, it's, it's just absolute joy. It just brings absolute joy to your face. And you're right. He is able to set up the world as he wants it to be. He's able to express himself as he wants. Um, and yeah, his, his, uh, disability kind of goes away while he's playing, at least in the sense of what you, you would not realize it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we, we want to give people like options, right? Everyone should have options on how they want to express themselves and, and the choices that they want to make. That's, that's what we're trying to do. And Bryce, it's fascinating to me as I looked at your, I looked up your history, how, what was your path to get to where you are? What, what's made you look at this and go inclusive designer? Yes, this is where I want to be. How, what was your path that brought you to that? I don't know. I mean, I've always, I've always been really interested in accessibility. It's, it's funny I think people seem to um, assume that I have like some kind of origin story where like I had <laughs> someone from my family like or someone that was close to me that had a disability. But, you know, I honestly like um, equity just makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah, right. So, uh, right. Um, you know, um, so I, I, I started um, I've, I've been a software designer for 20 years. Um, I around 2003, I had the opportunity to, to design um, the digital library for the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Um, and that project basically designing something for people who are blind and des- um, not accommodating people who are blind, mm-hmm. but um, optimizing for them mm-hmm. was was really a, a life changing project for me. It really it showed me um, the different aspects of what design is. And so I've always been very interested in accessibility. And I would work in Xbox and I would, I'll, I'll be honest, when I first started in Xbox, accessibility wasn't a priority. A few of us were talking about it. The community and the industry was, was talking about, I think able gamers that just started, mm-hmm. you know, when, um, when I, when I joined Xbox. And so, um, it's a hard conversation to have, but it'd be one that we would try to have. We would always try to bring it up. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we would uh, bring it up, there'd be a few members of us. Um, basically, the a- Xbox accessibility team um, has always kind of been me, um, Evelyn Thomas, Brandon Zahan. Um, you know, w- we're, we've always kind of been kicking around that space. We have a lot more co-conspirators now but like for, for many years it was just the it was just the kind of the three of us and some people who are interested um and yeah that's that's kind of where, where that journey happened right and i think like you know going from like a place of like figuring out how to, to use general purpose computing for people who are blind to like all these new exciting aspects of how we're looking at accessibility whether it's like um cog uh, uh where it's like cognitive or neural uh, divergence, you know, um, thinking about like limited mobility, thinking about um, all kinds of stuff. We do a lot more stuff now when it comes to people who are nonverbal, mm-hmm. um, which is really powerful. Um, and I think that there's there's always sort of new angles for us to look at. And I think the really exciting part is that when we 
when we find the when we go out and, and engage people with um, sort of significant disabilities, um, and we bring that back, and we bring those insights back to um, people who may be um, more typical, um, we start to see that like the the reach is really really broad. Like I mean, you can imagine. Um, you don't have to uh, understand blindness to understand that I can't see that. Right. right? You know, like, you know, <laughs> you don't have, to, you know, you don't have to like understand blindness to know that not everyone has perfect vision mm-hmm. and, and the techniques and things that we use for people who are partially sighted, um, you know, can benefit a lot of people and we can really optimize a lot of things for that. And, and so just applying that to one ability to vision, like all those things happen across, like, like I said, hearing and, and, and verbal, um, mobility. Um, and, and for us, the, the big exciting territory is, is thinking about neural, neural diversity. And is there, I guess, you know, being a, the lead of the team, what does your team, I mean, you, you named off some people, but what does the team look like? How do you even do that discovery work to get, cause I imagine that as you find one person who has a certain disability, and you think like, okay, this will take care of this this person's disability and probably a lot of others. I'm sure you find somebody who has something slightly different that needs a completely different solution and a different way of thinking. Is that right? How do you how do you how do you even start to, I guess, wrap around all the different layers of disability? I guess. Yeah, no, it's it's tricky. I will I will tell you that I think what's interesting about what you're saying is. Um, I think you're giving this impression that I lead a huge team of people. And the, the one thing is uh, at Microsoft, um, everything is about influence and not so much authority, if that makes sense. Okay. So what I mean by that is I actually, um, I only, my, my main focus is I'm the inclusive lead for Microsoft devices. So hardware, um, I'm the hardware accessibility guy mm-hmm. and I have a team of a couple people. We go around and we talk to our teams, but I, I, engage in this bigger community within Microsoft. I have peers in Windows, I have peers in Xbox gaming, I have peers in um, Office and I have peers in Azure and I have peers um, in Cortana and Bing and all those places. And we all basically try to find um, ways that we can collaborate and sort of build on each other's work. You know, that's where it's really powerful. Like one of the things that we've, uh, which is really powerful that I actually had absolutely nothing to do with um, is the fact that we have a, a system in OneNote that we started for education um, called Immersive Reader. It's a it's a product that um, we have optimized um, reading experiences for children are, who um, are dyslexic. And oh. we also cover dyscalculia. We also cover, um, you know, we, we cover dyslexia, dyscalculia, those types of learning uh, disabilities. We, we're trying to make sure that our, our office products and our web products and everything that we do um, can give someone uh, a view where it's easier for them to read. Um, there, there's a lot of tools out there on that. But what's interesting is that team um, injected Immersive Reader into Minecraft, into Minecraft education. Hmm. So when you open up something that you need to read in Minecraft, you can actually like go into Immersive Reader and have a personalized reading experience um, if you're dyslexic. And oh, so those, cool. those, yeah, those types of collaborations are really kind of what we're all about you know i think i think you know when with the adaptive controller came out we started to get teachers that asked us about it and we're, we're we we didn't consider teachers when we were making it um but we sure as heck are now you know like we're, Thank you. you know we're thinking about it like 
Well, we're thinking about like what what do people need in class and the motivations behind it. Uh-huh. Um, I think one powerful story that I have that it, I don't quite have a handle on what we're going to do with it yet, but I understand like where it came from. Okay, is is hearing about children who are resistant to using assistive te- the assistive technology that would help them. Oh yes. Excel in class. Very, very well afraid. aware of that resistance. Yes, please. Right. go. Yeah, because they're afraid of the stigmatizing effects of said technology. Absolutely. Right? They, they don't want to they don't want to um, be uh, uh, othered um, with the, their classmates. Right. But we, we we have heard stories of like, oh, but could I use this Xbox controller mm-hmm. like to do schoolwork? And um, that's cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and and that that's amazing that they think that's cool. Um, and how do I, you know, that's, that's really powerful, um, story for us and, and to understand that motivation and to understand that need. Um, but yeah, I got to figure that out. That's a one, <laughs> that's well, a big one for us. I'll have to say that. Yes, that is very much real. Even, even in my experience working in an all special ed school where every child had access to a lot of the, for example, the Don Johnston products, if you're in it in yeah. school, you know, mm-hmm. the snap and reads and things like that. Um, even if you had an entire class of students and, and I would do projects where I'd say we were going to use all these tools, they, they still were hesitant to do it. But if, if the Xbox adaptive controller is going to be a device that is going to inspire a child enough because it is Xbox looking ish, um, you know, if it's going to inspire a child enough to use to become uh, comfortable using that adaptive technology, then I'm all for it. it. Whatever it's going to be that's going to help, again, erase whatever it is that's or, or, or mask whatever um, their disability may be. And that's going to be the pathway that's going to help them to be successful. Then I'm sure we're all for it. And if, like you said, you know, the teacher who, you know, the student who asks to use that device, by all means, please, yes, <laughs> use that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't want to imply that it's going to like be a panacea. No, but, um, but I, I do think that, you know, there are other ways that we can talk about input, you know, beyond mouse and keyboard. How's um, I, I know, again, being as an inclusive lead in it, and I know you, your your group is more than the adaptive controller. How's voice commands coming? I mean, are, are you seeing because I know for a long time, uh, the product that we used a lot was Dragon uh, or uh, I think it was Dragon Read Naturally. And mm-hmm. it took a little bit of training. I mean, we had to teach kids how to use it, and then the computer had to be trained to the voice. But I noticed that my Cortana device on my Xbox seems to do pretty well when I give it voice commands. But what's what's the future looking like as far as just being able to naturally speak to your computer and 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 have actions take place? Are you um, are you guys working in any way in that area? Well, we're always looking at ways to to kind of do that stuff, and I think you can kind of see um, a little bit in our products of of what we're trying to do. Um, you know, Dragon Naturally Speaking is a wonderful product. Um, they're a valuable third-party partner mm-hmm. um, that we that we work with, um, and we want to make sure that those experiences on Windows um, are there for people um, for, to use Dragon. Um, we do have built-in um, things around dictation, mm-hmm. so in every Office product, you can there's a dictate button, and it basically will let you use Cortana's. Um, oops, I said Cortana. My device turned on. I understand that. <laughs> it's funny. Um, it'll let you use our, our naturally, our, our, our Azure cognitive services um, to 
do voice recognition. So in many ways, um, having the power of the cloud has better speech recognition than than anything that you can kind of do locally. We all kind of understand that we're working on that. So there is something that we're looking into is that, but I would encourage you to look at Dictate. That happens in Office. It's it's actually really good. You can also do Windows H and basically have Dictate in Windows oh. on any text field. And back to, I guess, the gaming world. Uh, obviously, the adaptive controller is, is there. Are, is there anything else that we should be thinking about as we're working with uh, our students, potentially with disabilities, and ways that we can better, I guess, because you talked earlier about not, when you talked about the, the library for the blind, you talked about the experience of building for not, accom- not accommodating or adapting. Yeah. How in our esports or gaming experiences can we build before we have to adapt and accommodate? What's, what, what's something that maybe a lot of people are potentially missing out or not thinking about that you maybe have seen? Yeah. It's always a balance, and I don't want to say that like everything's always going to be be perfect. Mm-hmm. I think when we look at our inclusive design practice and we compare that to a traditional accessibility practice, um, accessibility often is about finding facilitators to um, so that people can overcome the barriers that they encounter. Um, we try to think in inclusive design about, hey, what if we just didn't design those barriers into our product in the first place, right? Um, a lot of that a lot of barriers in technology happen when we don't intentionally include people with disabilities um, in the products that we create. Our biases and our own our own personal experiences tend to be the the, the major ones, and and that's what creates a lot of barriers for folks. So that's that's the core of our inclusive design practice. But that doesn't mean that um, overcoming barriers through like traditional accessibility is is in any way. Um, sort of less than mm-hmm. I think, you know, we, we still have a very, um, core practice when it comes to accessibility barriers. There's a lot of them in the world. You know, there's, you know, I, I'm pretty confident I will always be able to work. You know, I think, um, as we, cause as we think up new things, we, we unintentionally kind of exclude people. Right. Um, so, you know, there's always an opportunity for us to make sure that we're, that we're, we're actively and intentionally being inclusive. Um, in the products that we make. Yeah. And, and as, as people who, as myself, who doesn't have a disability, I hope at, at no point, and anybody who's listening to this, um, mm-hmm. I minimized anybody's disabilities that they are dealing with on a daily basis. All of this is through the best of intentions. And Bryce, I think listening to the way you speak about this, I hear the passion and the sensitivity that you provide um, and the respect that you provide people, I think most importantly, that they are individuals that are not divine, defined by their disabilities and that, yes, what you're working towards is giving an opportunity, at least in your group, working for an opportunity for everybody to have a chance to play. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's interesting, what we talk about a, a lot is this. I appreciate people who um, who aren't defined by their disabilities. Mm-hmm. I 100 percent appreciate that. And, and we're out there to empower all people. But we're also there to listen to people who actually are defined by their disabilities, because mm. there are many people in the community um, who who are defined by and, and they actively identify through their disability. It's an important part of their identity. So, you know, I, I'm the last person in the world that's going to um, tell someone how they should identify. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I think I think what's really interesting is you can you can see someone who who really does identify with their disability 
um, and it's a core part of them. And they think about how they live their life through that. And they think about the barriers that they encounter and they, they urge basically society to help them overcome these barriers or to eliminate these barriers. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you always kind of also see, like, I started with the adaptive controller working with veterans. And I will say that there is this predominant sort of idea in the military community of adapt and overcome. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so that's also, that also obviously completely needs to be honored. Right. Like this idea that for some people, yeah, it is about overcoming. Um, but that just doesn't mean it's for everybody. Right. Right. Well, Bryce, do you have any uh, parting thoughts for us? Again, uh, the adaptive controller, um, it's been out for a few years now. It's been, I, I, loved and 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 championed and rightfully so but do you have anything to add before uh we conclude the interview yeah i i hope that people continue to experiment with the adaptive controller we are for us this is a journey i think you know we've learned a lot um it's actually only been out 14 months but i hear you it feels (laughs) it feels and it feels like it should have been here i mean to me it feels like it should have been here longer i mean it just it just seems like a kind of like a oh of course thing but it's really not it's yeah but it's i I think i think it's going to change how people think about especially as we're going into the next generation you know the next xbox even you know i know playstation doesn't have their own device and and i know the competitors but you know the playstation 5 and what experience that is or stadia or you know even as we're using a nintendo switch you know i hope companies start to think along like taking your lead and saying you know what we really do have to think about things for everybody Yeah. And and I think we've been encouraged by the fact that people still want to to have this conversation and we know it's going to take time. I think the one thing that we learned when it came out was just actually how long this journey is going to be. You know, Um, I, I, you know, I guess we all kind of sort of hoped that when the device came out that we all dreamed of this, like, oh, we solved it. But then we haven't really, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we knew that we weren't going to solve everything. But mm-hmm. like this idea of what is adaptive um, input and what is adaptive gaming is actually a lot bigger than I think any of us even imagined. Um, and that always happens. You know, you put something out in the world and there's lots of things you can't anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, so you learn and you adapt and you figure out how um, where to go next. Bryce Johnson, Microsoft Lead Designer for Inclusion. Thank you so much for being on the Academy of Esports podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N and through the Academy of Esports account at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at 
www.facebook.com slash TAO Esports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.